Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest uh, podcast. And this is going to be part of a three-speaker series, which is very unique for us. We've never done that before. But this actually is um, what we did at RSNA 2018, which was Refresher Course 44. Hopefully, they'll invite us back next year. And it was on cinematic rendering, and I did this with uh, Steve Rowe and Linda Chu. And you'll see the two lectures that follow mine will be Steve Rowe speaking about vascular and MSK applications and Linda Chu speaking about the liver and pancreas. So it's my job to kind of give you the overview, some of the technique, the principles, and I had about 25 minutes to speak. I may decide to go a little bit longer here because there we had 90 minutes and we each had 25 to 28 minutes, but here I got the world. We got plenty of plenty of time. So anyway, let's get started. If you think about 3D imaging in general, it's been a 35 year evolution or maybe revolution. Uh, when we talk about changes, you talk about things at many different levels. You know, it's anywhere from the uh, computer hardware, think about that for a second, to computer software, the algorithms, the user interface, how we deal with the information, the scan data resolution, and of course our increased clinical experience to drive demand for post-processing also plays a major impact. When you think about hardware, just ourselves from Pixar, uh, to Sun, to Silicon Graphics, to Dell, to NVIDIA, with special purpose boards and GPUs. When you talk about the changes in software, as hardware gets better, it's easier to develop software. Cinematic rendering has come along because of hardware, because of GPUs getting better. And so the original article by Croins was talking about the importance of CPUs and GPUs, and that's how you got into the cinematic rendering. Data sets, remember we used to do four millimeter thick sections every three millimeters. Now typically it's at best 0.75 or at worst 0.75 millimeters by 0.5. We talk about the fact that resolution is better. The speed of acquisition is better, so there's no motion. And with speed of acquisition, of course, we're able to do CT angiography. We talk about new uh, developments like dual energy CT and perfusion CT as opportunities. Now. Patient care is a number one priority, and with increased clinical experience, we know what we can do, and that in a sense drives demand from our referring docs. Also, the fact that they're changing what they do, the fact you're doing laparoscopic surgery or robotic surgery means they have a smaller field of view. They need to know everything before they get there. It's not like doing a straight down incision in the mid-abdomen and then being able to put your hands on everything. It's hands off these days. So we know the increased diagnostic accuracy, the 3D mapping provides improved communication between the radiologist and referring physician and radiologist, referring physician and patient. Again, as I mentioned, the uh, non-invasive or minimally invasive surgeries from laparoscopic surgery to robotic surgery. And of course, I like to say, though the ACR has not said it, now, when you talk about value over volume, 3D imaging shows lots of value for our patient and our referring docs. Okay, that brings us to cinematic rendering. It's a software technique built on better hardware, thinking about what the patients need and what we need to deliver for our patients. So in this series of talks, we'll talk about principles, implementation, clinical apps, future directions, and perhaps potential applications beyond visualization. 
Now, visualization is a term I like to use, and probably it's a better term than 3D imaging. It's the process of transforming information into a visual form, enabling users to observe the information. The resulting visual display enables a scientist or engineer or radiologist to perceive visual features which are hidden in the data, but nevertheless are needed for data exploration and analysis. And Gershon made that paper and that talk 24 years ago, or maybe almost 25 years ago now, and it's never been more correct today. Uh, again, we have so much information. The biggest challenge we have is not seeing everything because there's just too much information, and we can't be looking at thousands and thousands of slices and expect to assume we're going to see everything in those slices. We talk about now the average radiologist looks at, well, over 100,000 slices a day. That's a lot of slices. And so you take the trip from dysplastic hips and shaded surface to the first sets of images with volume rendering and Lucas Films, red, green, and blue, and the work by Bob Drebin, Lauren Carpenter, and Pat Hanrahan, and the team at Pixar, showing you how you can take those images and go use color, use transparency, and within a couple years end up with images this good even though the scanners were not that great. We talk about the fact that volume rendering we felt was a major change. You preserve all the information, the data, not just surfaces. We talk about shaded surface, things are either black or white, okay? Now we had a percentage classification and we assume that a voxel can contain more than one type of tissue, which we know it can, and that's the key for volume rendering. And therefore, each voxel is accurately represented unlike shaded surface. And the technique is implemented using a probabilistic classification with a trapezoidal approximation. Each tissue type is assigned a nominal value. Each voxel is assigned a color and transparency. Trapezoids can be adjusted in real time. We create the final image by simulated rays of light through the volume containing the classified and colored voxels and then the image is projected on the computer screen. So this is what, in a sense, we will do a cinematic as well, but of course there, there is not just a single ray, but multiple rays of light, which make everything possible. But it still goes back to doing trapezoids to get the right images, and it's also the fact that with trapezoids, I can make presets so that I can come back and use those presets over again, and also potentially optimize both my work and my throughput and the fact that you could take your presets and give them to somebody else and they could do a pretty good job. Classic volume rendering, color or grayscale, here showing you the tendons and bone and here making the skin opaque, so showing you the skin and skin surface, or here making it transparent and showing you the muscles and showing you the bone. This is classic volume rendering. We could change the parameters on the fly to be able to accentuate different tissue types. And with cinematic, or what was called indirect volume rendering with a physically-based lighting, you're building upon that. You're creating multiple light sources. Multiple light sources create changes in shadowing. Changes in shadowing create more photorealistic images and really can accentuate the presence of normal structures and the presence of pathology. And so in this article by Crowe's, he talks about exactly how he does it as a Monte Carlo integration and how he gets to that final image. And in his article, 
In addition to the fact that photorealistic volume renderings tend to be aesthetically pleasing, it's been shown that realistic lighting contributes to 3D understanding and can improve depth-related task performance. With this work and the implementation we hope to make available, we hope to contribute to the uptake of realistic illumination and interactions, direct volume rendering applications. So those guys were really good. And we've written an article based on our work, and this is with Siemens. Cinematic rendering produces volume rendered images with photorealistic image quality. We talk about this global illumination model. We talk about the thousands of rays of light. George Bush would be happy of us for saying that. And then we talk about this lighting model, the ability to control the lighting. We're not perfect yet at controlling the lighting, but it becomes a very important feature in being able to create really good images. And again, the lighting, particularly around edges and corners, can really help accentuate information. Now, one problem with cinematic rendering is the same problem we have with volume rendering. Because we have so much flexibility, how do you know you have the best rendering? Are you hiding something? Is there something you could see more if you would have a better rendering technique? We all have seen images with crappy rendering and how you hide information that's obvious even on a plain film or on a regular CT. But again, it's really a challenge getting the best image, showing all the information without creating any fake information. And so this image creation, how we do it, is critical and because we have such flexibility it's wonderful but it's also a challenge we've always said that with volume rendering you can make great images or you can make crappy images we need to figure out a way in the future I'll comment how to make this really work well so what do I do I use trapezoids for optimizing image visualization I create presets whether it's for liver or pancreas or kidney or lung or soft tissue or skin I have probably 150 presets and then I'll look at a set preset for the problem I have at hand and then adjust from that preset or jump across multiple different presets and it's really an optimal way of doing something here's a good example that's my uh, trapezoid and the image that it matches is the image in the center the thoracic aorta and you can see I have a trapezoid collection in, in a sense, I have a bunch of images how your thing is going to look, whether it's bladder cinematic or pancreas and vessels and thoracic and aorta. But I'm using all of these trapezoids to create the images I want. So again, it's a little bit of a challenge. Those trapezoids can drive you plain crazy when you work with them. But when you get used to them, you can do all right. And once you have the presets, you can do very, very well. And so here's just a good example of some of the presets I have, whether it's for sinuses or the pancreas or the trachea, or the cardiac, is just a lot of different parameters. Now, one thing people do ask us, and I mentioned at the meeting, there are no special protocols for data sets for dual, for cinematic rendering. Whatever you give me will do. The better the data set, the better it is. Key things are fast injections. The image processing is done by the radiologist, and the average study time is less than five minutes. Now here's just a quick shot from PubMed. You can see a lot of articles were written this past year on cinematic rendering, and we've written a few of them, and have, as all of the speakers here have. And we've, when you look at it, there are really proven applications in the GI tract, be it stomach, colon, pancreas, or liver, for example. And spleen now, we just submitted an article today, today being around December 18th, uh, from Steve Rowe. 
We talk about GU and kidney and adrenal and bladder and vascular from the heart to the aorta and runoff vessels to runoff studies and mesenteric vasculature to musculoskeletal trauma, oncology, and reconstructive surgery. So we do have many different areas where we can do the rendering, and those applications are continuing to grow. Now let me show you just a feel of how good you can get. This patient was for tracheal stenosis post-intubation. You can see some narrowing and irregularity of the trachea. Not the most impressive set of images you've ever seen, but look at the detail when I go to cinematic rendering showing you the vessels of the neck, the carotids, and look at the soft tissue, the submandibular glands. Look at the appearance of the structures. Here I'm just simply changing the parameters. Look at the detail of muscle and bone and vessels and the interaction. There's the uh, base of the uh, tongue. You can see the detail we're able to get. And you can see also we can manipulate those images. So one of the things is to be able to look at images and be able to move the images to get the optimal plane. And we're going to have this available probably soon where you can go in and look at let's say this area and have the labels come up challenging what muscles are, what vessels are, and everything else. So again, one of the things to remember is when I show you static images, I look at everything in real time, I'm moving the images around, it's simply me making it easy, but you can do the post-processing thing with motion. Now, in terms of some of the things we've noticed, a cinematic is a promising technique in cardiovascular imaging. And this was an article talking about cardiac applications. The importance of looking at different tissue types and shading. Shading is very critical in the heart for many applications, and cinematic works very, very nicely in that regard. So here's an example of a patient with chest pain. You see the leads over the chest, that muscle. You see the muscles gone. Now you see the ribs and cartilage. Now you see the aorta and branch vessels off the arch, so the aorta is intact. There's no aneurysm. When you look at the patient's uh, left interior descending coronary artery, look at the collateral vessels you see, okay? That was a coronary artery fistula. But look at the detail. Let me give you another set of images. Look at the detail of that fistula. Also look at the sharpness of the arch, the pulmonary artery. Uh, again, the visualization is indeed impressive really allowing you to understand specifically what's going on. And in that case, with shading, you also get a very nice look at the patient's left atrial appendage, which is very nicely shown there. And again, left atrial appendage thrombus can be a real issue, but you can see here how nicely you can see the atrium and the atrial appendage. We talk about applications like looking at coarctation of the aorta. Look at the coarct past the left subclavian, the dilated left subclavian, the multiple collaterals, Good visualization, how I accentuate the pulmonary artery versus the aorta. There's no PDA present. There is flow through the internal mammary arteries. And you could see that the patterns, how we accentuate the costal cartilage, is really dependent on me selecting the right parameter set. You can, at the workstation, adjust, and we do. But I do create a lot of presets, which I think make your life very, very simple. You can see in this example, the same case, collateral pathway is through the internal mammary arteries. And you can see here as well. So you know specifically what you're dealing with 
but your job is to accentuate a lot of the normal and abnormal structures. And accentuating vessels is not easy, particularly complicated vascular maps. Now, when you look at vascular, one of the things with I mentioned before with cinematic is the challenges we have in the fact that we have so much flexibility. Maximum intensity projection, MIP, you put the button, no matter what scan you have, it's giving you the brightest structures. We think we can do it better than most, but still it's a simple technique. For complex, it's not so simple. And here's just a good example. Image on your left, I'm showing you the vessels. Then I'm showing you some vessels. Then I'm showing you the liver, and I'm showing you stenosis of the subclavian uh, of the patient's portal vein to SMV. But again, same data set, I'm simply changing the renderings. And here the same thing from MIP to showing you very nicely the patient's liver, to here showing you the different lighting models, showing you how I accentuate cirrhosis, or here where I'm giving you this really, really good look. So one of the things is that you have this challenge of being able to create an infinite number of images. And the challenge of infinite numbers of images is indeed going to be a problem for us going forward. So I think it's something we need to look at. Um, and why don't we do this? The time is running late. Let's just take a break there and let's come back and do part two, not three, part two. And I'll see you in a moment. Bye.